0: This is the shift podcast.
1: Today on the shift daily podcast, we talk about social vigilantism. We celebrate 2011 within our throwback Thursday and the uh, the Vancouver riots were 10 years ago hard to believe we geek out about video games in a big way with Ryan O'Donnell and Blaine Kylo E3 normally going on this week. And are you okay with so many things, including llamas who wouldn't want a pet llama but first before we get to that we want to introduce you to clack uh, clack is one of our new teammates here on the shift he's part of the shift family he is located at 630 chet in edmonton and clack is going to be he's kind of like the uh he's the uh the designated hitter if you will uh, for ryan when ryan uh steps into other things you might remember sunshine sparkle pants uh, he's got himself a daytime day job. Still with the company, but he's working at CKNW in Vancouver. So that gives opportunity to bring Clack in here. Now, yes, Clack, nickname, yes, last name, absolutely. And based on all the shift heads, it won't be long until Clack has a nickname on his own anyway. So here he is. He's in Edmonton and uh, sitting in the wings waiting. How do you feel so far, brother? You feel all
2: right? I feel great that my nickname is not Sunshine Sparkle Pants. Uh, I I must say that that's a really unique one. Otherwise, it's been a great show, and it's really awesome to be a part of it. I mean, just the the interviews I've already heard, and and I'm a big E3 guy myself. So just hearing Ryan and Blake there, like it it was great, and it's just a really cool uh, thing to be a part of. I'm a night owl myself, so I'm usually up at this time, and uh, you know, it's just one of those things where things align and even though I'm in Edmonton and we have Airdrie and Calgary and Vancouver, we're all together. It's a big, happy family. So I like that. It is.
1: It is very cool. And um, well, welcome to the group. And uh, it's great to have you here. It's going to be, it's going to be fun and exciting for all of us. And and one of the cool things when we created the shift, this version of the shift was that we wanted to expand the voices uh, across the country. And the neat part is, is that, uh we'll do this run this down here quickly with clack but you know i was born in manitoba grew up on vancouver island went to high school in fort mcmurray then my radio career has taken me to ontario twice back to calgary a bunch of times and so on and so forth ryan uh, grew up in ontario moved to alberta and then you've got uh, brendan kelly oh what did i get wrong
0: grew up until nine in Calgary. Then, ben went on to teenage, young adult years in Ontario, right. and then back to Calgary. So right. close, good,
1: so close. Uh, Brendan, uh, now I'm now I'm. <laughs> this is my confidence waiting here, and how well I know you guys, because Brendan, Brendan's from Welland, Ontario, and then oh, moved to Vancouver, Saint
3: Catharines, Saint
0: Catharines. You from Welland?
3: No, I'm from Saint Catharines.
1: I well, went. What to... was the
0: deal
3: with Welland? I went to a radio college, Niagara College, in Welland. Oh, and I lived there right. for a few years. I've also well, I knew lived... you're from St. Catharines. Yeah, I've lived in I... Niagara Falls too. I, I've done yeah. the trifecta of the Niagara region. Yeah. We
1: we are firmly, squarely uh secure in a couple of things. First of all, I pretty sure I DJ'd at the bar in Red Deer where Ryan's was conceived with his parents. No doubt. And I am also very certain Ryan looks like he's gonna vomit. I'm yeah. also very certain that um I DJ'd at the cottage and uh, when you supported to party there. In oh Port yeah.
3: I was blackout drunk and I had no idea that my future co shift head would, was DJ. I had no idea. Was the Not, guy in the corner. Yeah, was the guy in the corner. Yeah.
1: Very cool stuff. All right. So Clack, um, give us the rundown born and raised in Edmonton. What's the story?
2: Yeah. Born and raised in St. Albert, just outside of Edmonton. I've been in Alberta my entire life, except for one year, the year 2001, where I decided it was a great time to live in the United States And I lived in Colorado on a little hamlet called Erie, which is outside of Denver. So for the most part, I've been here. But I had that little stretch in in the U.S. And I believe I was in kindergarten. And looking back, it's just weird growing up and having that one year in the States where you're like, okay, I had a turkey outfit on. And we did turkeys and pilgrims for Thanksgiving. And it was a huge deal. And then you come here and... What like that would just sound weird, um, and another <laughs> like weird. and just I don't know the the thing with the nice thing about Colorado is it's probably the state that's most like Alberta. Yeah. Uh, Colorado, you still have mountains in Colorado. I don't think they're as nice as Alberta's, but you still have mountains there. There's still people that ski, and there's still really nice individuals there too. So, the perfect state for me to to go to, but. That's basically my background. I'm really big into hockey. My Twitter account is NHL Update. It's all lowercase. So all I do is tweet NHL stuff and transactions. And sometimes at 3 in the morning, I'll tweet out something like Martin Marinson has signed with the Czech League. Now, you probably have no idea what that is if you're outside of Toronto or Edmonton because that's where Marinson's played. But that's what I'll be tweeting at 3 in the morning if you're ever interested
1: i like it we gotta wait till you meet cammy boy oh boy you're gonna love cammy capkey she's dynamite all right cool so that's clack here on the shift it is time for are you okay you can share your thoughts on are you okay jump in on the stories whatever are you
0: okay with facebook ryan uh i was i liked it a lot got it in like 20 maybe 2012 2013 Uh, It was cool at first, but now it's just kind of like a toxic waste field. Uh, Mm -hmm. It can be cool to look back on memories and photographs, but really, I don't really use it for much more than that. Uh, So I don't know. I think Facebook's time has come.
1: My nephew says my parents, his grandparents ruined it all. He's like, boomers ruined Facebook, Um, which could be very true. The minute that Facebook showed me a picture that someone else posted that said, is this you? Question mark. That was when I was like, yeah, guess what? Not going to really use Facebook anymore. <laughs> no more pictures posted. Thank you very much. Cuz it's creepy. I'm not okay with Facebook. Uh Brendan Kelly, okay with Facebook, not? Yeah,
3: no, I got rid of it. I tried forever to manipulate it in such a way that I could tolerate it, like just putting like close friends on my news feed, just putting news on my news feed, and I just I couldn't, <laughs> I, couldn't I couldn't. I couldn't like the I, suggestions I, I was getting, especially when I just put news on. It was like no, I don't. This is not correct news, and I don't want to see it. Oh, wow, interesting. All right, Clack, Facebook, irony.
2: I think Facebook is pretty toxic. I really don't like Mark Zuckerberg, but saying that, it's an excellent resource for groups and events, for nice. inviting people to things. That's where I use anything on there. I mean, just recently, I think today I booked a group camping trip, and there's a group on Facebook, so everyone can see it. And it's that easy. So that's the one thing it's really good for.
1: Yeah, got that. Roger Waters. Roger freaking Waters of Plink Floyd. Plink Floyd.
3: That's a mouth <laughs> Pink typo. Floyd.
1: That was a mouth typo. Doesn't hey, seem good. to be a big fan of the uh, social media company Facebook. Here's more from yet another very tired reporter <laughs> at the Hill.
0: Roger Waters, a founding member of the British rock band Pink Floyd, revealed at a press event last week that he had turned down a, quote, huge, huge amount of money from Facebook for permission to use one of its songs in an Instagram advertisement. Waters made the revelation while speaking at a pro-Julian Assange event. The Rolling Stones reports. The rock star shared that he had received a letter asking for permission to use the song Another Brick in the Wall Part 2 from Floyd's 1979 album The Wall.
1: Wow. Very tired. Very tired. Very tired. Can we first of all say that how much do you hate Facebook when you're at a pro Julian Assange event?
0: Yeah. So there's (laughs) already bound to be some Facebook dissent there. But I have good news. I was able Mm -hmm. to find the audio of when Julian, or not Julian Assange, when Roger Waters voiced that opinion. And it is the the very tired reporter at the Hill left out an excellent detail in just how much Rogers uh Roger hates Facebook.
4: Mm-hmm. It's a missive from Mark Zuckerberg to me, right, arrived this morning with an offer of a huge, huge amount of money, and the answer is you. No fing way. And I I only mention that because this is an, an insidious, it's the insidious movement of them to take over absolutely everything. Jeez.
1: Wow, don't sugarcoat it, Roger. So Roger Waters read uh, the letter from Facebook. And uh, went on about all this stuff. And I'm just going to quote this one thing. We feel that the core sentiment of this song is still so prevalent and so necessary today, which speak to how timeless the work is. According to The Hill, Waters took aim at Zuckerberg and referencing the Facebook's predecessor <laughs> face mash where Zuckerberg had created a rate to physical appearance of women on Harvard's campus. <laughs>
0: They do great reporting there, but I don't know why they, they need to give their their people who voice their packs some coffee or something. Jeez. Yeah.
1: It's, it sounds like their parents are sleeping in the next room and they're trying to be quiet so they don't wake them up at night. That's what it really <laughs> does sound like. Uh, interesting, though, and kind of cool to, uh, also to turn down all that kind of money out of principle. I admire that. Are you okay? Are you okay with pork burritos?
0: I like pork. I don't, yeah, pork is not. i uh, ground beef or maybe chicken. That's that's Whole my pork, that's my yeah. go for. Uh, pork not sandwich. pork in
1: a burrito. Oh, chicken. Really? I could go for that. I think so. Let's do chicken. All right. Oh, all right. What if uh, what if eating a delicious pork burrito caused you to fail a drug test? Well, what kind of oh. pork is that? Wow. Um, that's what might have happened to Olympic runner Shelby Houlihan. She's banned from the sport of running. She's actually not banned from running. She's banned from competing. I mean, she's still allowed to run. <laughs> she's goes yeah, like be, three blocks yeah. and she's like, Oh, I forgot
3: I'm not allowed to run. Be hard to enforce.
1: Yeah. Um she's allowed to com- she's banned from competing for four years following a positive drug test for steroids. She blames it on eating a pork burrito from a Mexican food truck near her house in Beaverton, Oregon. Uh some pig organ meats or offal contain trace amounts of the banned substance Nandrolone. Uh, This could lead to a false positive test.
5: When I got that email, I I had to
4: read it over about 10 times and Google what it was that I had just tested positive for.
5: I've never even heard of Nandrolone before. I've since learned that it has been long understood by WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, that eating pork can lead to a false positive for Nandrolone.
1: Um, the ban effectively bars her from participating in 2020 games <laughs> that are still happening this summer and the 2024 games in Paris as well. She also claims she passed a polygraph test and had her samples examined by toxicologists. Can we just
0: acknowledge the fact that Nandrolone sends to like a planet in Star Wars? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. totally. And the, the Nandrolites are the next great enemy of Luke Skywalker <laughs> and the Rebel Alliance. There you go, and they nice. all
1: and the planet's shaped like a big pig, <laughs> floats through <laughs> space.
0: It's got a moon that looks like a tail. We I, could I, be, we could be billionaires. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I think so.
3: I like that some pig organ meats are called awful.
1: <laughs> right, awful. off. What yeah. was that spelled? Off. Al, yeah L-F-F-A-L, awesome.
3: assuming it's spelled right in the script but
1: yeah Yeah, I'm assuming it's spelled right. We never really quite know about that one. I wonder what the uh, people at the hill think about that story.
3: They're probably love, really excited.
1: We love What Pope an exciting pork burritos. development. I think I'll get a pork burrito when this is all done. Are are you okay? Are you okay with storage wars?
0: yes i used to watch that show all the time and there's that uh there's that one guy that would always help him out and there's this legendary moment where the guy swears because he lost a, 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 on a storage unit and he just looks at the camera and goes watch your profanity and it's just the way he said it makes me so happy i love that show
1: <laughs> one man tested his luck to earn a little extra cash at a storage auction what did he find in his newly bought treasures it's a pretty good Money. show when they, they dramatize the, oh, look, it's the dresser. Oh, my God. Commercial break. Um, he found a serious case of buyer's remorse. That's what he found in the drawer. Shane Jones felt sad. The items in the storage unit he purchased belonged to a man who was in prison and couldn't afford to keep it on his own. Shane and his parents tracked down the imprisoned man's mother and gave her back all of the items. After her grateful reaction, says Shane says he will continue buying storage units to try to return more items to their original homes. Unless, of course, they're really valuable, then maybe we'll just sell those ones. I made that part up at the end.
0: Yeah, I fa- that's a cool story, though. That's wholesome. I think it's neat. That's pretty nice.
1: That's pretty nice. I mean, to think that you could go and um, you know and have that kind of impact like that, um, that's kind of cool. I guess in today's world of so many greedy people, I think that's pretty awesome. Are you okay? Are you okay with la-la-la-la-lamas? I like them. I never really met one face-to-face. I mean, I've seen them in, like, a few feet away. I mm-hmm. feel like they'd be cuddly.
0: Yeah, I like the llama from Napoleon Dynamite. Still haven't seen that movie.
2: Really? Oh, ah, yeah. you
0: should. Yeah, you should. Mm-hmm. You should. You think so?
2: Yeah, you
1: should. Um... Clack, have you seen Napoleon Dynamite?
2: I have seen Napoleon Dynamite and the llama just needed to eat the food. That's all. We just kept asking him. Eat the food.
1: All right. Spoiler alert. Now I don't need to see it. I know the whole story. See? Highway drivers near King City, Ontario dealt with a rare threat on Wednesday night. A loose llama. Hopefully not a demon llama.
5: Where would you come from, little guy? No
3: touchy. Uh, Demon llama. Demon llama. Where? Ah. (laughs) Oh, Oh,
5: my head. Okay, demon llama. Uh, Just take it easy. I mean you no harm.
3: (laughs) Ah, ah, my face. Good. My beautiful, beautiful face. Okay, okay,
2: okay. Llama, Uh, (laughs) llama face.
0: Oh, I love that movie. I haven't seen that in forever. God, great choice. I think I think llamas
1: look fuzzy. I like to watch them on TikTok. They come on my Instagram reels all the time. This white llama jumped out into the middle of lanes of traffic near King City, causing drivers to make sudden stops, of course. Ontario police eventually found the wandering llama in good health. He was just trying to find his way home. Uh, the police hope to find Its owner soon. I I guess llamas don't have chips and wear collars, but if I had a llama, I have a sneaking suspicion I would let it in the house. I mean, maybe they do. They smell bad. Aren't they big? Like, well, they're tall. I like Great Danes. I mean, it's bigger than a Great Dane, but if you had two Great Danes, it's probably pretty close, isn't it?
3: Uh, I'm, I'm sure the experience is very different.
2: They
0: seem docile. And that's how they get you. They seem docile.
1: That's the demon llama part.
0: They also look like they
1: could use a dentist.
0: That's another thing.
1: Llamas need braces. Too expensive for me. My benefits don't cover that.
0: This is the Shift Podcast.
1: It was 10 years ago that the Vancouver riots happened. It's hard to believe it was 10 years ago, but I looked up a list online of riots in Canada and, general civil discourse and vancouver pops up in there a few times but that's not really what we're here for 10 years ago when that happened it really became one of the first mega prominent uses of social media and closed circuit cameras to find people and not only that the police literally went on to socials and said hey do you know this guy and so as we look back 10 years ago we can sort of reflect on today and say is it any better today this social media vigilantism work and so in order to do that i wanted to bring in jesse miller to have this conversation and get some insight on all kinds of things because we can go into many angles here jesse first uh, social media vigilantism plus youths and all of this stuff in policing so where, where does that all land with you
4: well, uh, it's uh it's a decade in review for the uh, the twenty eleven hockey riot. And to be fair as a Vancouverite, I mean, I was uh, front and center in some of the media spotlight at the time, talking about you know why people would take pictures of themselves committing crimes and post it on Facebook. And you have to remember too, the evolution of our social media has changed so drastically in this time. Like, not a single person investigated in the Vancouver hockey riot was investigated because they took a Snapchat or posted on Instagram. Like, this was all uh, Facebook. Twitter, and then uh, Tumblr blogs, like such a such an archaic way of kind of approaching the static use of the internet. Now, the thing of it is, is that, you know, we did have a lot of individuals who were documented and there was a lot of, of corollaries towards like, oh, this is just like London, the London riots of 2012. And, um, you know, comparisons to 1994 with the Vancouver hockey riot then And realistically here, I mean, social media played a huge role and it was the first worldwide event where social media was used as a tool to identify individuals. But there were so many layers to this that really do need to get addressed. One, we think about why people posted things on social media and and the idea of everybody's a celebrity, everybody wants attention. And that was a big critique piece. You know, there was a lot of individuals who basically said these are idiots who think that there's no one paying attention. But we had so many unique situations. Like there was obviously the website from the Vancouver police that was posted with individuals that were highlighted based on closed circuit TV offset by a social media post, just trying to figure out, you know, the angles of who a person was. But also, we also saw the VPD approach uh, the Insurance Corporation of British Columbia looking to see if they could use driver license photographs to cross-reference, and then we saw privacy uh, violations coming into play as well. Like, what does it mean for all of us to be put in these databases where our image can be contrasted to see if we were involved in a crime just based on certain similarities, kind of like a minority report kind of kind of a deal. So in that, um, so many layers to unpack. But one of the most interesting was just the idea that you're online and you can be held accountable for your offline actions just by people sitting at their desk and trying to put some puzzle pieces
0: together.
1: There's a lot of people who looked at that, Jesse, and said, wow, you just provided your own evidence against you standing in front of a burning police car, or broken window, holding something that was looted out of it. And. That seemed incredibly reckless just to begin with before the social media aspect of it. That's like framing a picture, putting it on your desk and having a party and showing all your friends.
4: Yeah, and I think that's the beauty of law that sometimes uh, the everyday layperson doesn't really understand in the sense that just because there's an image of you standing in front of the burning police car doesn't mean that you had committed a crime. You have to remember in all the stages of the Vancouver hockey riot, like there was warnings like disperse from the area, don't be here. But until they actually formally read the riot act, which I think some of us have heard as kids, but never actually knew that it was a proclamation from the queen that unless you disobeyed that order you know you were allowed to be in the, the space until police directed you to move on. And so, in that, you know, this idea that individuals like were on the Sky Train heading home and then deleting photographs from Facebook, that was one of the first real pivotal points where individuals still thought that their social media was theirs to control. I mean, we saw the VPD send in thousands of requests to Facebook for the history of people's accounts. And that became part of that next start start of the conversation. Like, what does it mean when you delete something from social media? How long is the retention? How long do police have the right to try and get Get a, a piece of that. And, um, you know, as much as it can be kind of a, a two inch putt to, to highlight and say, yeah, a person stole pants, they took a picture of themselves holding the pants. Um, what does it mean to actually have still that process of law where we do value the identification of the crime being occurred, who is responsible, and then evidence proving that they need to be held accountable?
1: yeah that's it's it's remarkable now okay so let's flip that on the year on the on its ear then because now we've had these people who have self-incriminated if you will (laughs) um and then there's the other people there's the closed circuit camera there's the pictures that were circulated i'm looking we're looking for this guy there's that notion of i mean boy policing and face recognition has been a conversation of privacy that you and i've had more than once and um but then there's going to the public with vigilanteism and saying, do you know these people and asking around kind of like, have you seen my lost dog photos, right? Have you seen this man, the classic wanted. So yeah, where did that <laughs> land?
4: Well, and there's, there's a, there's a weird mix there. One, the Vancouver police were the first uh, police ring organization to launch a formal website dedicated to have, have you any connection to these individuals? Can you identify them? And interestingly enough, I mean, the newspaper plays a very similar role, right? They posted photographs of individuals on, on newspaper websites, but also just in print. And in the first five days after the Vancouver hockey riot, we had like like former high school principals of these individuals calling up the Vancouver police and saying, no, we had that student two years ago. I know exactly who they are. I know exactly what their former residence is. That's public um awareness now meeting uh, public record right and so there that's a traditional piece of our society but for individuals to see something from facebook now on the six o'clock news that was a real big shift a decade ago so for individuals to either take it on their own accord or based on almost like a crime stoppers thing saying if you know anything come forward Mm -hmm. uh, it's a weird mix of that digital meeting traditional kind of analog public awareness But the reality of it is we did have a lot of people who were ahead of the question, can you help us? Because they saw it, they put the pieces together, and they say, you know what? I think it's my societal duty to let somebody know that this person should be held to account.
1: Well, we're seeing that more and more. Uh, This guy's been following me. I took the picture over my shoulder. Um, Do you recognize him? You've seen an awful lot of this stuff, and it does go into that vigilante part where maybe you call the police and say, hey, there's a suspicious guy, and they take a statement from you. But that's really it. Um, posting it online and dealing with it yourself, I mean, frankly, it, it might get the job done, but at the same time, uh, you know, not necessarily the safest way.
4: No, not at all. And the thing is, like, do-it-yourself justice is usually the thing that we see police coming forward and saying, don't take this into your own hands. But in certain circumstances, individuals feel emboldened, especially when they feel like law enforcement isn't doing what we think is the right thing. And so, especially in cases where there's not enough evidence to put the puzzle pieces, we can think about uh, those creep catchers, you know, a couple of years ago, they are like, well, police aren't doing anything about these creepy, creepy people online. So we're gonna go and hold them accountable. That's where you get into libel because what you think is happening might not be the case. And that's where the nuance of policing fits in. And so you'll see police say, yes, we appreciate what people are doing in this instance, but don't take the law into your own hands. Contact police. And obviously, societal pressures kind of build up where people get upset. But one of the things we have to keep in mind here is that the riot itself grabbed so much attention that it became a clickbait event. It was the idea that you could actually make money off of highlighting individuals online because you could have a little blog that had some ad revenue on the side and people were going to it. And we saw a lot of people choosing to do that. Now, I was a blogger at the time, more so than I am now because I favor microblogging. But the thing is, is that I was actually able to reach out to family members of, of some of the people accused and ask questions like, how did this affect your family? What does it mean for you to feel this public shame? And I remember I had one parent whose child was very prominently highlighted, and this was an adult child. And they said, you know, we didn't raise our our child to be this person who's going to go and commit a crime. And we have to keep one thing in mind here. Uh, Almost. I think it was almost 80% of people who were arrested in the Vancouver hockey riot and formally charged. It was their first offense. They had mm-hmm. never had some kind of interaction with police. I think it was actually 83%. So in that there was a societal piece too, of like how do people get wrapped up in these events? Is, is, is there knowledge of, of, of the criminal code and the consequence of action part of the dialogue that we need to expand in the social media education space? Because yeah, you might something, do something stupid with your friends, but once it's on social media, what does it mean later for it to be investigated? So all of these things become intertwined to our current reality of should we name and shame? It's an if, not necessarily a guarantee. And if the circumstances require it.
1: Okay, so all of our conversation right now, Jesse, is based on the fact that we're assuming the person did what they did, right? I mean, it's different if they're standing in front of a broken window with a hammer in one hand and a pair of pants in another. Yeah. Then we get into bullying. We get into um, some sort of, personal agenda and all those other things so we go from vigilantism of hey i saw this guy commit a crime here's a video of him actually breaking the window of the car and stealing the change cup do you know him and then there's the i'm gonna make somebody look bad and then everybody just subscribes to this whole uh, i call it pitchforks and torches of cancel culture where people just i saw it on the internet therefore you're guilty and everybody's in trouble
4: yeah i think you know the vancouver riots is an example of crisis situation right and and the idea that that human crowd sends out digital material and everybody kind of jumps onto it one of the things that i think people have to keep in mind here is that um, you know a couple years later we had the boston marathon uh, uh bombing and that one was really one of the bigger scale events where a person was identified and later proven not to be involved in any way shape or form and the thing is, is that, yeah, you can sit there quarterbacking what you think is your investigative tools from the comfort of your house, but you don't have all of the angles in in, in the sense of what you just highlighted here with the CCTV or with witness testimony or when it comes down to it, just some off the beat knowledge about a community or area that really has nothing to do with the investigation, but might help police actually get a formal charge. And... You know th- we have these social contracts that allow us to kind of structure the way we all are supposed to kind of participate with one another but because everybody now has the ability to film whatever's happening in front of them and it seems like just argument over a parking space now becomes six o'clock news that do-it-yourself justice piece isn't something that everybody should just be considering an okay thing in our society. Because what happens is that then, you know, you get maligned for something that you were never involved in, or people believe that you were, uh, you know, manic in a moment, just when you were having a conversation with somebody that kind of went off the rails, So this public idea that we have a right to punish transgressions in our society isn't something that we should be kind of embracing. But at the end of the day, if we can collectively say there is a better way of doing this when we work with the agencies that we do trust to identify and hold account to people, that would be the ideal. But ethically, we're not there yet.
1: No, we're not there yet ethically and maybe never. I don't know. But are we better off?
4: Well, in some case, yes, in some case, no. I mean, the reality of it is, is that there is more public accountability. So if we look at some of the things that have happened in the past 10 years, whether it be the accountability in policing, whether it be the accountability in our society, on the other side of it too, where police are now actively engaging in uh, body cameras and, and, and capturing everything, when you reference what a person has when they're filming at a protest and contrast it with what the government controls, which is the police body cam. And then we see the media narrative and then we see the state narrative and we can kind of compare them. At least we get both sides of the story, whereas traditionally we were always only getting what the state wanted us to see. Right. And so it would require somebody with a VHS camera, if we think Rodney King, we would require the corner store to release the CCTV footage publicly as opposed to just handing the evidence over to police. But more and more, the more that we actually can use the tools that we have for the the purpose of convenience communication entertainment to hold individuals to account without the shame piece um, that means that we have the tools to really see huge equity in our society when we can get rid of cops who aren't following the rules and abusing the power. And equally, we can sit there and say, well, the police body camera showed that everything the police officer said in statement was hundred percent true. And the person who is accusing the police of, you know, you know, excessive use of force or whatever it be um, their statement or their belief is not to be proven true.
1: Yeah. And that would also go the other way off the police into the, the internet trolls, if you will, there should be evidence of whether or not it's accurate or not, right? Um, You'd think it would get better.
4: Yeah. And I think one of the things we have to keep in mind here is that our law is always about 20 steps behind the evolution of technology. And even the idea that the law itself becomes kind of the rule of the land in certain ways, that's another 40 steps behind. But one of the things that's most important here is that civil law does tr- does travel a lot faster than criminal law in this space. So what we are seeing is we're seeing when people do get into these instances online where you know, you're maligned or somebody is attacking your character, yeah, you might sit there and go, okay, well, I want to go to the police because I feel like I'm being harassed, but civil law we're seeing people who are being held to account from the financial point of view, as opposed to the, we're going to put you behind bars. And so when it comes to the exploitive content, let's say intimate images being shared, uh, especially in adult relationships, those pieces, yeah, we have law that protect individuals, but it is actually somewhat easier and more effective to sit there and say, no, you went after me online and now I'm going to get my lawyer to go after you in civil court. And we're seeing huge judgments. I think one in British Columbia about two years ago was almost $200,000 just for going online and, and basically spouting untruths about a person.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And that's gotta be helpful. My goodness. You know what I think it reminds me of Jesse reminds me of hockey In hockey today in the NHL. Um, you used to be able to get away with a little shot, maybe a little slur, a little insult, little chirp, um, every now and then, right. Little butt end in the corner. And now there are so many cameras And so many microphones that you really can't get away with anything. There's always a camera around and there's always a microphone around. So if you were uh, the type of person to use a racist slur as an insult or whatever, those things are going to get heard now. And it might not get heard in the broadcast, but they're going to get heard inside the league. Right. And And so it's kind of like the world today.
4: It's a good example because I think there's a pendulum swing here as well. Like I'm a big believer in accountability culture, not so much in cancel culture, because the hard part with cancel culture is once we cancel 51% of people, you have 51% of an army you have to fight against, and then things kind of become unbalanced, right? But the pendulum swing is a big one because let's just go back to the analogy about hockey. Uh, uh, Morgan, Morgan Riley with the Maple Leafs a couple of years ago, because the microphone picked him up saying something in hockey that is a normal thing to say, but sounds extremely offensive, but we know that extremely offensive things can be said in hockey culture because it's picked up because everybody on social media jumps into it what he said and what his argument back and saying no i didn't say that thing and even though you think i did i didn't it doesn't even matter if if you said something that wasn't the bad word you are now held to the account of public opinion and so that will always be attached to him he just has to have the wherewithal to say you know what I didn't say it and those around me can verify that I'm not this type of person, but at the end of the day, your record does show. And so what we see right now with uh, Nazem Kadri, his actions on the ice, usually show him to be a quote-unquote dirty player but even him coming forward and highlighting the atrocity of the london murder uh, of a family and highlighting the issue you've got people on twitter who are calling him out saying well if you were just better on the ice maybe you know you wouldn't be the you know the the best person to say this well it's like him on the ice has nothing to do with him saying that we shouldn't have people targeted this way But for you to put those pieces together and think that your voice on the internet needs this conversation, we're just so wound so tight that we're not really finding a middle ground. And the hard part with that lack of accountability is that that idiot on Twitter can sit there and say the racist thing, but apparently the hockey player who wants to stand up for what's right uh, can't do that either.
1: Well, Simon Cowell, one of the most generous, kind, caring guys that you'll ever meet in business when you're a part of his team and all those things. And then in public on the show, he gets paid to be direct and a little bit sharp. And then you go the other way. You've got Ellen DeGeneres, who in public looks like this incredibly loving, caring, fun, playful person. And anecdotes and stories from her staff say that her working with her was a culture that was absolutely dreadful and hurtful. So you can't trust what the public, what the a role is, I like to call it, right? the. Um, and there is always a human behind it. It's, it's a remarkable conversation, and um, and I really appreciate it, Jesse, for just looking at the big picture of all these things. And cancel culture scares me. It really does. It's, it's part of my self talk every day in this show. You say one thing wrong, man, and you're gone. And uh, as opposed to accountability, um, I'm not up for pitchforks and torches. A little bit of humanity, maybe, it would be all right uh, in all of this. So. Thank you very much for, for spending some time and, and uh, sharing some insights on on social media vigilanteism. Dun, dun dun maybe we'll get it right one day. Thank you, Shane. I
4: appreciate it.
0: It's the Shift Podcast.
5: Technological.
1: Technological World, Blaine Kylo from the West Coast in North Van. How are you, my brother? I'm well.
5: I'm well. Yeah, things are good here.
1: Father's Day is coming up soon. Yeah. You are very proud of your dad work. I you am. are very engaged with your kids and probably the coolest dad around because you do love video games. What's on the schedule for the, the Kylo clan this weekend?
5: Um, our communities have opened up enough that there's actually our first ball tournament in a year and a half is actually in two years is happening. So there's going to be a whole lot of fast pitch happening this weekend. And then we're off to Kelowna next weekend for another tournament. So lots of ball in the next six weeks.
1: That's cool. Are you like, now, what kind of ball dad are you? Are you the ball dad that sits in the lawn chair and, uh, you know, sends the kids to the cooler for you or... Are you ditching the team and hanging out with the kids
5: Um, I would be the guy in
1: the cooler by the way
5: (laughs) yeah I I, uh, Sadie my daughter plays on the rep team they're pretty high level um, ball players and so I'm trying to control my anxiety the entire time while I'm watching her on the mound it's sometimes I have to be out in outfield all by myself
1: oh you're like a goalie dad except for baseball
5: Yeah, yeah, it's it's very similar, very similar,
1: yeah. The weird dad (laughs) standing on the fence. Oh, good for you. That sounds like a fun, what a fantastic way to go. There was some uh, kids playing soccer in my neighborhood last, uh, just as things opened up here in Alberta late last week, and just the sounds of kids uh, playing soccer in the field was just like music. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hope you enjoy All right, so you've got a fantastic lineup set up for us here on the shift for the technological world. Ryan O'Donnell is here now. Ryan, do you want to do you want to run this one? Like, what's on your mind here? Because I mean, I know that you're excited about some of the conversation that Blaine's got us set up for. Um, yes, you know, we didn't talk about this beforehand, so, <laughs> uh,
0: Shane, I think it is only fair that one olympian passes the torch to the other as we continue <laughs> I'm our not marathon the olympian
1: in this conversation <laughs> exactly yeah. so right.
0: uh yeah blaine man are we talking e3 i feel like we need to talk e3
5: yeah well this is normally the time of year that i'm in la um at e3 right. cuz you know the electronic entertainment expo is typically an in person event hasn't been they canceled it outright last year because of the pandemic they moved it online this year um, and you know it's great for lots of people because you can participate in e3. I mean, there's there's we almost don't even need media because you could just sort of see everything that I would be covering. It, it's not quite the same watching it online as being packed in a great big sound stage or auditorium or or stadium where all yeah. of these crazy things are happening. So you know it's not quite as exciting. Um, to cover, but there were certainly some interesting things that happened. Um, things kind of kicked off on Sunday with Xbox and Bethesda, because Bethesda, part of ZeniMax, is now a part of Xbox. You know, Microsoft bought that company. And Microsoft has always started off E3 on the Sunday before the event. No change there. Two big revelations from Xbox this weekend, First of all, of the 30 games that were showed off at the Xbox briefing, 27 of them are going to be available on launch date to anybody with an Xbox Game Pass subscription. That's crazy. So this subscription, which is... (laughs) It's 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 a ridiculous deal, right? Yeah. So as the price of single games goes up, I mean, we're looking at probably $80, 90 $100 price points on games with the new console generation. Or you can get a subscription that costs you a couple of hundred dollars for an entire year, and you have all of the games that are coming out available to you on Xbox. It's the best deal that you can get. The other big revelation, and... If there was any doubt in anybody's minds, Microsoft now owns Bethesda. Any new games coming from Bethesda and the other studios like Arcane are going to be Xbox exclusives. And that was Mm -hmm. confirmed for us on Sunday. That includes Starfield... The game from Bethesda, the creators of the Elder Scrolls and the Fallout games that everybody's been waiting for, literally for 20 years, people have been waiting for Bethesda's space exploration RPG. Starfield is slated for launch next November, November 11th, 2022. It's going to be an Xbox exclusive.
0: Not surprised. I mean, is it Xbox or are they also going to be... I guess this is a question in general xbox and pc or are there any that are just coming exclusively to the xbox
5: no this is the beautiful thing about what xbox is doing is everything that they've got is xbox and windows and because they've got this smart delivery service and because most of the games if you get it on one platform you also have it on the other so if you get the xbox version you have the windows version 2 tied to your account And wherever you play now, your save files will go with you. So you can pick up on your computer or pick up on your console and play the same game. And because we've got cloud gaming with Xbox now, you can actually tap into those save games and play all those games. If you're an Xbox Game Pass subscriber, you can play on your tablets and your smartphones. You can play all of these games kind of anywhere you want. It's kind of amazing
0: it's a big i would say from almost every e3 i've ever sat down and watched xbox was always the the losers of e3 there was never anything that really excited me but i thought they won well i don't think they won e3 but they had an amazing show very exciting news are there any games aside from starfield is there any one that really sticks out forza horizon 5 got me going horizon five looks beautiful
5: (laughs) it's all set in mexico so they're really they're really doing something interesting and and that's the horizon is the sort of more arcadey type game as opposed Mm -hmm. to forza motorsport which is this sort of racing sim they usually alternate those so we're getting horizon this year um a couple of other things that i thought were interesting from xbox um sea of thieves is um picking up on captain jack sparrow and the pirate Pirates of the Caribbean franchise from Disney. So their new expansion comes on June 22nd. It's called A Pirate's Life. You can embody Captain Jack Sparrow in all of his um, glory. And finally, we've been waiting for this one for a long time too. Psychonauts 2 is being released on August 25th. And we've got a clip.
4: Approaching the
0: I can't believe I'm really here. Psychonauts headquarters. Look at all these
5: gadgets. The mind is the final frontier of humanity. This is a game, a follow-up to what was originally an Xbox exclusive. Um, A fantastic platforming game coming from Double Fine Studios and Tim Schafer. Really imaginative, creative, writing, super humorous. And we didn't think we were ever going to get a sequel because the first game didn't do very well. Not only are we getting a sequel, but Microsoft has also purchased Double Fine Studios. So uh, we're going to get more stuff from them as well.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, I would say, yeah, Microsoft killed it. Amazing news. Uh, But Nintendo, at the end of the conference there, kind of like slapped us in the face with news so much stuff from Nintendo. Take, take us through the best bits because there's a yeah, lot.
5: So the, in, in the same way that there were two surprises from Xbox, there were also, I thought two big surprises from Nintendo. One was the announcement of a new Metroid game, Metroid dread, a new 2d side scrolling game in that series. That's releasing this year on October 8th for the Nintendo switch. That was a bit of a surprise. But the other surprise was actually the lack of an announcement about a new Switch. There was there have been rumors for months that there is a new Switch that's in the works with better graphics and processing and support for 4K televisions. And there was an expectation that that would be announced during the Nintendo um, Direct event on Tuesday that did not happen. Now, it's entirely possible that nintendo will announce a new console coming out this year and they're just holding on to that until the tokyo game show which will be online at the end of september that Mm -hmm. may be a bit late for them to announce something that they want to get out during the holiday season but that's a possibility um not a lot of new um franchises or a new ip and there's no new games in the big ip for nintendo but lots of interesting games that are servicing fans there's a new mario party superstars there's a new wario game nintendo and ubisoft are doing another mario Rabbids game and we got a trailer for the sequel to the legend of zelda breath of the wild nintendo says they hope that it will ship in 2022 but not only do we not know what the actual release date is, we don't even know what the title is going to be. Nintendo said today in interviews that they're keeping the subtitle of the new Legend of Zelda game under wraps because the subtitle is going to give away some of the plot. So they're holding on to huh. that for the time being.
0: I think that's a good idea. Probably safe. If you're going to you know, and build up hype, and I mean, imagine September... Hey, brand new switch comes out in two months, and by the by the way, this is the new Zelda game, and it's you know got a big, crazy name that draws in attention. They're gonna have a killer holiday season. Now um, you're thinking
5: like a PR person. Yeah, I know.
0: Hmm. No uh oh. So, here. uh, let's go. We've got time for Ubisoft because Ubisoft had a lot of stuff, and I usually uh, take a grain of salt. I don't love all of their products, but I their IPs, but I. I think they've got a lot of good stuff to coming down the pipe here, especially that new Avatar game.
5: Yeah, you know, Ubisoft is a machine. The the new Far Cry 6 game is something special, Um, uh, set on a fictional South American island. Um, And what's interesting about what they're doing with Far Cry 6 is in the post-launch DLC, players are going to be able to play as the villains in the game. And, you know, as, you know, all the novelists out there like to say, villains are the heroes of their own stories. And so giving players the opportunity to sort of play on the other side of those stories is actually really interesting. I'll be quite That's curious so cool. to see what they do with that. And then, as you said, this avatar game, Frontiers of Pandora, um, being developed by Massive Entertainment, Um this was originally revealed back in 2017. Just They sort of mentioned, hey, we're working on a game set in James Cameron's universe, but this is the first time we've actually seen anything. You're going to play as one of the indigenous Navi creatures, the characters in the game. It's coming in 2022 to next-gen consoles and Windows.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, lots of cool stuff there. I, I, I just wish... That the game has some place where you can fly the helicopter, like those dual-winged helicopters in the movie, and you can have like an air battle because that was the best part of the whole movie.
5: Yeah, Uh, except you're on the wrong side of that combat. You're 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 on the military side, and the game is set up so that you're playing the indigenous (laughs) people. So you're going to fly the flying creatures and attack the helicopters. I'll take that. I think. But there's also that. something else, and, and I we have to mention this because people have brought it up a couple of times over the past like year. Elden Ring, it still exists. We've got proof. The game actually we saw a trailer for it um and in summer game fest last week, and we've actually got a release date. January twenty first, twenty twenty two is the only thing that we know. And if we've got time, we've got a little bit of audio from the trailer.
3: The tarnished will soon return. Guided by grace, once lost. The golden order is broken to its core.
5: Can't you just hear George R.R. R. Martin's words there?
0: I don't think, I don't, I can't remember the last time I've been so excited for a video game. There you go. Blink Kylo, I think we just hit all the E3 notes. Uh, Shane, here's the baton. It's back to you. Thank you. We'll take power. That's cool. I love it, man. There's so much going on. I don't know how you guys
1: track all that stuff as sitting on the outside and knowing all of these different pieces of the puzzle. I mean, I would. I'm still stuck on the Mech Warrior conversation from two weeks ago. Yeah, you get to drive a robot. You guys are like all over it. Very cool stuff. Solocore.com at Solocore s o l o c o r p s if you want to connect. And trust me, uh, Blaine's blog has got all of this stuff there for you to check out, including videos and trailers and so much more. Hey, Blaine, Happy Father's Day this weekend, brother. Have fun with your kids and the ball.
5: I will. You too. Thanks, fellas. Have
1: a great week.